Yeah, happy Father's Day. You know, to all the dads, we got a few. Yeah, put your hands together for the dads. Come on. To all the dads who are working tirelessly day in, day out to put food on the table, your diligence, your, your relentlessness, your tenacity, your character. We just want to honor you today and just say thank you for everything that you do, for everything you've done. The world needs more dads. Truly does. It needs more spiritual fathers, right? And I don't know, maybe you were born, maybe you were raised, you didn't have a dad growing up. A lot of people don't, and we often take for granted, many of us who did have dads growing up, we take that for granted, but so many people didn't have a father. But I think what the gospel teaches is that the most important thing is that we have a father who is in heaven. And his love for you is so eternal, is so everlasting. It doesn't matter if you had a father in this world or not, you have a father in heaven whose eyes on the sparrow, who knows every need, every longing of your heart. He is, he is so close to the, the Bible says, he's so close to the brokenhearted, and he is there for each and every one of us. And I think on Father's Day, whether you had a father or not, God wants you to know this, that you are adopted into his family as his son, as his daughter, as a child of the King of, the, of God. So my first Father's Day memory was when I was six. Oh, by the way, we got Hannah over here. Hannah, did Ian point Hannah out over here? No. Hannah, what are you, tell us what you're doing over there for a second. So you have to check that out. She's just, she's moving with the spirit over here. So we're super blessed by Hannah. She does calligraphy, and uh, she's made some really cool stuff. There, there you go. She may be one that said, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. That was the first time I met Hannah. And it was just a little beautiful thing that she made. So, um, but yeah, my, my, my first Father's Day memory was I was six years old. And um, it was me and my dad, we were going to go for a baseball game. So, we, uh, as, a four, as a six year old, I just had a fascination with like motorized vehicles. Can I get an amen? I just had a fascination. Every time we would go somewhere in the car, I would want to go start the car. Like, Dad, Dad, can I go start the car? He's like, sure, here's the key. So I go start the car. So this one time, I don't know, something, something changed in me. I, I wanted to drive the car, not just start the car. So I started the vehicle, and we're in the park in the, in the, in the driveway, and we had a very long driveway, and started the car, and um, I put it into, you know, I, I saw my dad, he was, he was, you know, doing something on the side of the wheel. I didn't even know what it was called, but I just, I kind of tried to mimic him, right? So I grabbed the, you know, the, 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 the shift. I don't even know what it's called. Grabbed the shift, and I turned it into drive, and all of a sudden, the thing just started moving forward and went right through our garage door. And the huge hole, huge dent in the garage door. So happy Father's Day, Dad. We love you. Uh, really surprised him. He wasn't too happy. But to, you should have seen what he did after. He what he did was, my dad, he didn't scold me, he didn't get after me, he, he kind of just like said, what the heck happened, but he said, you can't do that, you can't drive the car, you're six years old, but what he did was, he took me, and we just, together, we cleaned up the garage, we, we fixed it all up, I, I literally drove right through the garage door, like, messed up all his benches, and all his tools fell off the shelves, all his utensils, everything was messed up, that's where dad kept all his, his, his woodworking shop thing, right, so I messed up the garage, so what me and my dad did was, we picked everything up, 
And he showed me where it went, and he put it back, and he's like, okay. We literally cleaned up the shop. Instead of going to the baseball game, we just cleaned up the, the garage. Uh, it was still fun time because it was with dad, right? That's the whole point, just be with dad on Father's Day. So we cleaned up the garage. My dad was super meticulous. You know, he would, he would just put stuff back exactly where it needs to be. Everything needs to be, like, very perfect, and he won't stop until it's like that. He's very much like a perfectionist. Do I have any perfectionists in the room? Uh, no? Not over here? <laughs> None. Um, but yeah, so my dad, one thing I think I learned from him the most is, is his discipline, was his discipline. And he was a very, very disciplined man, and I, I always saw that in him growing up, and I always said that was something that I really wanted to model. You know, he, he was very disciplined in, in, his, in his career, in his workplace, um, with his family, uh, spending time with the Lord, spending time in prayer, um, reading the scriptures. He was very disciplined. And I thought about this, what does it mean, what does discipleship mean if it doesn't mean becoming like Jesus in our spiritual disciplines, right? Becoming like Jesus in our, in our spiritual disciplines. And maybe you, how many of you have heard that phrase before, spiritual disciplines? Maybe you've heard that before, maybe that's a new phrase for you, never heard it before, and you're kind of wondering, what in the world, what is that? Uh, we're going to dive into that here today. Um, and I guess my first kind of exposure to discipline would have been both in my dad, but also in the, in the realm of sports. So I grew up playing basketball, and I, and I played uh, for the, for the uh, British Columbia Provincial Basketball Team. So U18, U17, U16, I played every year on these teams. And our coaches, man, our coaches were just, in, some of them were just insane. Like these guys would just be you know, screaming at you, just like running down the, 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 the side of the court, just yelling at you. And if you made one little mistake, they just were really quick to point it out. And they would just like scream and scream. And so you were kind of, you kind of had like performance anxiety growing up. Like you had, because it's like, you hear, you hear that voice just yelling at you, you mess up, you know, you're going to get pulled off or, or uh, you're, you're going to get screamed at. So always kind of aware of that, always kind of, you know, reminisce, thinking about, you know, uh, that voice in the back of your head. Um, but uh, one of my, my coaches, you know, they just, they, they told me one thing that I, that I never forgot. He says, to be disciplined in sport is, is freedom. Discipline is freedom. So when you're a well-disciplined athlete, you are able to do more things. You are able to expose yourself to new moves that otherwise you couldn't do. You are able to actually be more creative on the court, on the basketball court, than you could if you were not disciplined. And that goes in terms of stretching, that goes in terms of eating the right foods, the right diets, nutrition is huge. That goes into how, you know, how many shots are you per, are shooting every day. Kobe Bryant shot 1,000, made 1,000 shots every day. 1,000 shots every day. Isn't that crazy? Not shots, makes. He made 1,000. You know how many to shoot, you know how many to shoot to make 1,000? Crazy. So athletes, you know, you see athletes, and you don't really know what goes into their craft. You just kind of see it, and you're like, oh, wow, that's cool. That's a cool thing. It's the hours, the countless hours, the diligence, day after day, night after night, into that craft. And I think the same thing is, is in all areas of life. I, I, we, I used to make about 500 uh, uh, shots in high school. I'd make about 500 a day. And, you know, that was just after you'd just be totally wiped out. You'd just be totally taxed. It was just like I'd be in the gym for three hours trying to make 500 shots. And it would just be totally, you know, totally depleted after 
Um, but I, I remember this one game that we played. It was a really big game. It was against the, uh, the number one team in all of the province of British Columbia in high school. And we were a smaller school. We were, we were a single-A school, and we were playing against schools. We, we kind of entered the league two leagues ahead of us. So we were playing 3A schools. And 3A in Canada, that's like the biggest that you can get. Or at least it was the biggest kind of schools. Right? So you have 1A, 2A, 3A. And then you have like quad A, 6A here, right? The U.S., they're they on, they on their own level. They're they doing their own thing. But we have 3A, and we were a 1A school playing a 3A school. And I, I remember there was, you know, my dad had made some fish. He used to make this pregame ritual, ritual. He would make these, this, this halibut before every game. And it was just like kind of a ritual that he, that, he, that he got into. And so every game before the game, about two hours before, he would make this fish. And I don't know what happened, but this time the fish didn't sit quite right. I don't know what, what he, if you might have put a little extra something on there, I don't know what it was, but it didn't, it didn't sit quite right with me. And I remember I was good the first quarter, I was good, the second quarter I was good, and then the third quarter is when you really start to get a little bit fatigued. But I also started to notice that my stomach wasn't feeling too, too good as well. And so I played through the third quarter, and I was like, my stomach started to really hurt at the end of the third quarter. I was like, something's wrong, you know, and I kept playing. We were playing good. The game was really close. It was neck to neck, to neck and we were playing really well for, for being a smaller school, and we were tied, and all of a sudden, the fourth quarter happens, and I'm getting real tired, getting real exhausted. I'm getting real sweaty, and like unusually sweaty, you know what I mean? So I was like, okay, something's not right. My stomach started to really churn inside of me, and I ran off the court, and when I ran off the court, like our bench was right in front of, you know, you had a change room over there and you had a change room over here. So our bench was situated in front of the women's change room. So that's where we changed. But little did I know that there was another team coming in after us. And it was uh, the females were coming in, the women were coming in after us. And so I just had to find the nearest restroom in the middle of the game. It was the fourth quarter. I just had to find the nearest restroom. So I jumped off the court, middle of the game, fourth quarter. Everyone's playing, the ball's down there, and I'm just booking it. I'm beelining it to get to... The, the bathrooms, and I jump over the bench, and I jump over the bench and go through uh, the door, and I, I see this fountain. When I cross over the door, I see this fountain, and I'm just like, just I'm like, Kobe, just aim for the fountain. Like, it's coming. I can feel it coming up, and it's starting to, you know, and I'm just about, it, I'm, it's coming. You know when it comes up and you kind of catch it? Do you know, you know, come on, somebody. Curtis know what I'm talking about. You, it's coming up, and you just kind of catch it, and you're trying to hold it. And you're just about to let it go. And when I was just about to let it go, I saw the, I saw the fountain. I was just about to let it go. Just get it to the fountain, I said. Just about to let it go. And all of a sudden, about to let it go, and this girl walked around the corner. She got, oh, man, you should have heard the scream. She screamed so loud. I just launched it. It was the perfect timing. It couldn't have been worse. She got jonah I call it jonah she got jonah It was real, real bad. And so the girls were all screaming, and I, I felt so bad. I said, I'm so sorry. I said, she's like, get off me, get off me. And I just ran back out on the court, jumped back on fourth quarter. We did. We killed it. I felt way better. We won the game. I had the game-winning shot. Amen. We got it in there, but it took a little bit of discipline. It took a little bit of discipline. It takes mind over matter all the time. And that's one thing I learned in sport was it has to, if you don't, you can feel sick. Like Michael Jordan felt real sick one game. I think it was in the finals. I can't remember the 90, it was 90, was it 92? 92 against Utah Jazz, right? It was the 92 finals. With Utah Jazz, he had a flu, right? And he had bad pizza. 
he had something. I don't know what it was, but the night he had he had, he had he had he was he had the flu, I think, and he was sweating. He was real uncomfortable, and he had the game-winning shot in the in the finals in, in Utah. It was in Utah, and it was against uh, Russell. It was against that, that guy. He pulled it back. It's that very iconic shot. Remember, he he pulls it back, and then he and the guy was he keeps going that way, and he just bup, and he gets it. He knocks it in. And that was it. So he had the flu, but it took mind over matter. And, and I think as athletes, you really get familiar with, you know, subjugating your body, right, when you don't feel it. Like when it doesn't feel comfortable, it, you, you process it. You, 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 you make every thought subject to what you want it to do. And, and I, I think it's interesting because I think discipline is kind of indistinguishable, the, the indistinguishable key for, for accomplishing anything in, in life, if you think about it. Is this, is, this, is this idea of discipline. And Paul talks about discipline all the time. He actually talks about it in terms of an athlete, training. Did you guys know that? Paul says, is train yourselves to be godly. Train, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. But I, I, I thought about this, that we will never accomplish anything in life without discipline, right? Be it in the arts, business, academics, uh, sports, whatever it is. But I thought about this. This is doubly so in spiritual matters. Because check this out. An athlete might be born with just a phenomenal body. You think of LeBron James, right? A musician might be born with perfect pitch. I think about Carlos, right? He's like, what the heck, right? You, 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 but none of us, none of us can claim an innate spiritual advantage. You know why? Because the Bible says that we're all innately equally disadvantaged, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? So in, in a sense, we all kind of, we have a, a, a predisposed disposition towards sin, right? Towards slavery, towards bondage that Jesus has, is, 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 bro is, is, is broken us free from those things. But we don't have a, a, a we don't have a, a advantage in those areas. We're all kind of equally spiritually disadvantaged. So it's going to take a lot of diligence. It's going to take a lot of discipline for us to, to have this, you know, this connection with God where we're really just totally just connected in every single way possible where we can practice the spiritual disciplines. And I thought about the life of Jesus. And I really want to highlight a few texts today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to pop it open the screen. Jesus, his, his life was very disciplined. And, and, and his spiritual habits help us develop intimacy with God. And I think when we see this very clearly in the scriptures, that spiritual habits, they're not there to, for our praise. Do you know what I'm saying? Like spiritual habits, like fasting, right? Uh, like, uh, like rest, meditation, prayer, like these things aren't meant for our praise. They're meant for intimacy with God. And I think Jesus reveals that time and time and time again throughout the New Testament. When he talks about fasting, when he talks about prayer, he says, don't get out on the street corners praying like the Pharisees do. Don't get out there praying like everybody trying to make yourself known. He says, just go in your closet, shut your door, and pray to your Father in secret who art in heaven. It wasn't about a show to Jesus. It was about the heart. It wasn't about a spectacle to Jesus. It was about the positioning the posture of your inward heart, right? And so look at this. Mark chapter 1, we're going to get into it here. Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. We're going to pop it up on the screen here. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, 
and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. You want to talk about discipline? Jesus. How, how, many, how many morning people do we have in here? Just put up, if you're a morning person. If you're a morning person. God bless you. That is incredible. I'm not a morning person. I am not a morning person. I get my best work in 11, I would say 10 p.m. to 12 midnight. It's when I get my, my mind is like totally wired and I'm just like getting my best work in. But a lot of people are morning people and I don't understand it. But Jesus was definitely a morning person. And the Bible says it was very early in the morning while it was still dark. Right? He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. It says Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Look at that. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. What, what, what you didn't read here was just what took place in the few texts prior. Jesus is doing all these supernatural healings. He's, do, he's performing all these signs and wonders, and people are bringing out their, their sick people for Jesus to lay hands on them, for Jesus to heal them. And he's getting famous, and everybody's looking for Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, where are you? Everybody looking for you. Everybody wants to know where you're at. You're, you're popular here. Like, let's continue your, your popularity. Let's continue to get your name out there, Jesus. Like, your ministry is going really well. Like, things are really beginning to flourish. Like, we need to, to, to take advantage of this opportunity so everybody can know that you're the Messiah. And look what he said. He said, let us go elsewhere. What the? To the nearby villages so I can preach there also. He says, that is why I have come. He came there to, to do what? Not to just simply heal, right? But he came there to preach the gospel. Jesus didn't want his ministry to be absorbed by physical healings. He didn't want his ministry to be defined by simply meeting people's physical needs. He wanted his ministry to be defined by preaching a proclamation of the gospel, right? He wanted his ministry to be uh, represented by that he wasn't just you know, he wasn't just here to do some cool stuff and just to see the sick healed and all that. He was there to, to, to save the lost, to seek and save the lost. But I thought about this. This was a very common pattern in Jesus' ministry where, where he would go and pray and meditate often. The Bible says that he actually he leaves often to pray and to meditate and to spend time with his father in the early morning hours. And he just goes off in the middle when everybody's, nobody's up. He just goes off and he starts praying to the father. He does this time and time and time again. And what is prayer? Prayer is a spiritual discipline. Did you know that? A lot of people, a lot of people, as a pastor, you come across a lot of people that say, Pastor, the hardest thing for me is to pray. I just can't sit still. I just can't get alone with God. I just can't, I just can't kind of, it's such a mundane thing. Like, I feel like I'm just talking to a brick wall. Like, I feel like I'm talking and nobody's talking back. Like, it's so difficult. It's so challenging for me to get in the, the pattern, to get in the rhythm of prayer. And what, what is prayer? Prayer is a communion time with your, with your dad. It's just time where you and your dad get together and just spend time together. Where you just get a fresh revelation, a fresh download of what God is doing in your life, what God wants you to do. Where you just connect with your father and say, God, 
I'm just laying down what I had for today. I'm just laying down my plans, my ideas of how this day would go. And I'm a, I want to get a fresh revelation. I want to get a fresh download. I want to get a fresh connection with you. Prayer is time where you just simply just surrender what you had in mind and receive from God. I think a lot of times we think about prayer as a discipline, something to be done instead of something to be received. Some of the most powerful prayers we can make is one where we simply open our hands and listen. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to, you don't have to try to, God, you don't have to try to pour out your heart and every care and every longing. It's, prayer is a time for you just to open up your hands and listen. How many of us are just praying and we're just listening? Just praying and just waiting for God to, 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 to say something. We're listening. Our, our ears are open. Our eyes are open. And we're just saying, God, what, what do you want to say today? How are you trying to speak to me today? What, what revelation, what fresh revelation, what fresh download are you trying to, trying to in, inter, integrate into my soul, into my spirit today? Like, what is it? And Jesus just did this with his father. He would just go off in the middle of the night and just spend time with his father and pray. And I thought about this. If Jesus was the son of God and he was waking up at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. to go pray in the mountains, and so, I was like, how much more so, right? Like if the son of God, God in the flesh, spent time in communion with his father and just getting away and, and, and time and time again, just solitude and prayer, how much more so should we who are fallen, sinful human beings, be devoted in our prayer life, right? It just doesn't make sense to me. Like, we don't like praying. It's like, that was Jesus' lifeline. Like, that, that was his lifeblood. Like, his prayer was where the power was found. And many of us are like, we live in life without power because we don't have much prayer, right? Prayer is where the power comes from. We'll never live lives of power until we live lives of prayer, like, you really want to say, okay, where's, where, like, where, I just don't feel like I have the aptitude, the strength to keep going, the, 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 the I don't feel like, I feel like I'm, my, my soul is dry. Let me just ask you a question. What's your prayer life like? What is your prayer life like? Do you see miracles happen in your life? Do you see power being poured out in your life? Do you see people, do you see supernatural things happening in your life? Well, let me ask you this. If not, are you praying enough? Are you praying often? Are you praying without ceasing? Are you in constant communion with your Father? That's what prayer is. It's a connection with your Father. Just praying. The Bible says pray without ceasing. Are you just going throughout your day, just meditating, just praying with God? You don't got to go. You don't got to hide out somewhere in your closet. You can just pray with Him throughout the day. Praying to your Father. But Jesus also modeled this. He modeled something that I think our Western world the Western caricature of Christianity has lacked so deeply. And this is this, solitude. Solitude. Silence and solitude. Is that even a thing in the Western world today? I, I don't even know. When was the last time where you got alone? Just you and not your iPhone. You hear what I'm saying? When was, <laughs> Karis got a kick of that. When was the last time you just got with you? Because every time I check, every time I see people get alone, I see this attached. I see, the, I see the digital age connected to their hip. Wherever they go, they got this device connected by them. That's not solitude. That's not silence. That's, that's, that's distraction. That's digital distraction. Jesus went to the mountains to be alone in solitude because he didn't want to be intertwined with the distractions around with him in the ancient world. <laughs> they didn't have iPhones back then. 
They didn't have all this stuff back then. And he went to the mountain to find solitude to pray. Are you, le- oh, come on, somebody. you gotta, sh- you gotta turn it off. The best thing, the best thing, oh, where's my phone at? Where's my phone? Where's my phone at? The best thing you can do, listen, you wanna feel connected to God, you wanna feel, you wanna feel like your life, you're feeling life with power and prayer, the best thing you can do is to hit this power button and just turn it off. No, seriously, the best thing you can do, you want a stronger relationship with your kids, with your family, with your mother, with your daughter, go to the dinner table and turn off your phone. I, I, I promise you this, it's going to enhance your relationship a thousandfold. We, we all we all guilty of it, right? Jesus went away to find solitude, to pray with his Father. He wanted no distractions. I love what Cal Newport says. He says this. He says, a common term I heard in these conversations about modern digital life was exhaustion. He said, it's not that any one app or website was particularly bad when considered in isolation. As many people clarified, the issue was the overall impact of having so many different shining baubles pulling uh, pulling so insistently at their attention and manipulating their mood. Their problem was this frenzied activity is less about its details than the fact that it's increasingly beyond their control. Few want to spend so much time online, but these tools have a way of cultivating behavioral addictions. The urge to check Instagram, the urge to check Twitter, to refresh Reddit, becomes a nervous twitch that shatters uninterrupted time into shards too small to support the presence necessary for intentional living. Come on, somebody. Come on. We're so divided. We're so distracted. We don't have silence. We don't have solitude. And like Jesus, we need to go to the mountain. We need to unplug and spend time with our Father who art in heaven. I wonder if we can do that. I wonder if we'll, because I know you know to do it, but I don't think we do it. You know what I mean? It's not enough to know. You need to activate it. You need to, you need to, you need to execute. The Bible says, you know, don't be hearers of the word, but be doers. Go spend time in silence and solitude in prayer with your Father in heaven. Okay, next point. So, I love what he says here. So, he says, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go elsewhere to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. I thought about this, right? Jesus is becoming increasingly popular, right? The easy thing to do would be given to what is comfortable and convenient for the sake of his popularity. But what does he do? His discipline is directed by his purpose, not by his comfort. Look at this. This is crazy. How is, is calling every time over comfort? Calling every time over comfort, not convenience. What determines the direction of your life? How are you living a life that is disciplined? Is it according to comfort or is it according to your calling and to your purpose? Because it's really convenient to do things the easy way, to do what's comfortable, to do what's uncomplex, to do what's easy and natural. But I promise you this, you will never live a disciplined life if you are always going with convenience. You will never live a life that is godly, a life that is trained to be godly if you are always going with what's most convenient or what's most comfortable. Calling over comfort, purpose over popularity every single time. You do what everybody else does, it's really simple. Go along with what everybody else is doing, but Jesus says, this is why I have come. He couldn't stay there 
healing people. He couldn't stay there. He had a purpose. He had a calling that was much greater to proclaim the gospel, and so he had to move on. His life was shaped. His ministry was formed by discipline according to his calling, right? So he says this, and I think this is the best example of, of, of calling, calling, God-centered, comfort, me-centered. He says in Gethsemane, he said, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will. Your will be done. I don't want what's easy. I don't want what's most comfortable. I don't want what, what's so convenient. And so, Because I would just say, I want this cup gone from me. He said, Father, not what I want, not what's comfortable for me, but what is your will because I will do it being your obedient son. How many of us are willing to sacrifice comfort and convenience for our calling? Because Jesus modeled that perfectly. And he lived his life so disciplined in that way that no thing, no person, no devil in hell, no thing from the enemy, no scheme of man or pur purpose from the devil, nothing could get hinder, could get in the way of Jesus fulfilling God's calling over his life to die on the cross. And this really determined the trajectory of his ministry. I love what Diedrich Bonhoeffer says. He says, when all is said and done, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, what a, what a titan. What a, what a titan. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, I think I might have mentioned him before, but he was a, a Lutheran pastor in Nazi Germany. He was part of an assassination attempt against Hitler during the Third Reich in Germany. And he, he, he justified his assassination against Hitler. Can you imagine that? He was a Christian pastor. And he says this, when all is said and done, the life of faith, is nothing if not an unending struggle of the spirit with every available weapon against the flesh. How is it possible to live the life of faith when we grow weary of prayer, when we lost our taste for reading the scriptures, when, we, when sleep, food, sensuality deprive us of the joy of communion with God? He said, how, how, how can we wage war against the flesh when we don't pray? When we don't read the scriptures, when we don't do the things that God said to do to sharpen our spiritual elements so that we can wage war against the powers of evil and darkness in this world. See, when I'm living disciplined, I have freedom to combat the forces of evil and darkness because I've been walking, I've been sharpening my tool, I've been working on my craft. And so when the times of trouble are stirred and hardened, guess what? My tools are sharp. My blade is ready. I'm ready to go to war. I'm ready. Are we living lives that we're sharpening our swords, right? Are we sharp? Are we versed in the word of God? Are we versed in the scriptures? Are we, are we there? And, and that leads me to the next point. Reading the scriptures. Reading the scriptures as a spiritual discipline. Luke 4, 16 says this. Jesus, he had just been tempted in the wilderness, right? He had just come out of his temptation, right? At the beginning of his ministry, you remember that? He was tempted by the devil in, in, in the wilderness. And Every time Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus responded with, it is written. I don't care what he said. I don't care what they said. I don't care what she said on Pinterest or on Instagram. I'm just interested in one thing. Thus saith the Lord. Amen. I just want to know what the Bible says. I don't care what a popular opinion is. I don't care what philosophy says. I don't care what they I don't care what they say. I just want to care with what 
does the Bible say? And every time Jesus was tempted, David says this, I have hidden thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Every time a temptation came his way, he would say, it is written. I wonder if you know the Bible like that. I wonder if we have the word of God so, so integrated into our lives, into our spirits, that we can say, <laughs> Not today, Satan. Get behind me because it is written. Bum, 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 bum. I wonder if you know your word like that. I wonder if we know it like that. Because the Bible promises that if we, if we hide his word in our heart, it will be a tool to use. It will be a defense to use against the adversary every time we are tempted in every trial and tribulation. I need you, I need you to get into, into this word. I need you to get into this word. I need you to dig deep. I need you to meditate on this thing. I need you to, to pray over it, meditate, contemplate, reflect, read it, memorize it. And this is the crazy thing. This is the crazy thing. You probably never thought about this before. Jesus didn't have one of these. No, 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 hear me out. Jesus did not have this. The only scriptures in the ancient world were on what was written on a papyri. Very, very expensive luxury in the ancient world. Jesus did not have access. Only the most affluent in society had access to papyri. Jesus was broke and his family was broke. We know that. The scripture tells us that. He did not have access to this type, to this, to, to papyri. And if he did have access to it, it was simply a few pages of the Old Testament. It certainly would have been not the entire Old Testament. Remember, the New Testament wasn't around, wasn't written then. So it would have been some pages from the Old Testament. So where did Jesus get his knowledge of the Scripture? He went to church. Every single weekend. Oh, come on, this is good. This is really good. See, every synagogue had Scripture. Every synagogue had papyri. Every synagogue had the Old Testament Scriptures. So look at this. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. So he, here we go. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, come on, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Oh, come on, say custom. Say habit. Say discipline. See, I didn't, I didn't just give in because it was, it was hard to get to church that day. See, it was my habit. See, I had a, I had a way of doing things. I, I had to go because it's so integrated into my routine, like my rhythm, like my life. Like, I had to go. I had to go because I can't go. But I cannot go because it's so integrated. You hear what I'm saying? Like, it's a part of my rhythm. It's a part of my life. It's a part of my doing to be with God's people, to, to hear the word proclaimed, to, to get the scripture in my heart, in my soul, to, to, to get it inside of me because you can read it, but if you don't have it inside of you, it's not going to have the power that you need it. So you got to get it inside of your heart, inside of your soul. So he, look at it, he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read. Jesus was a participant. He wasn't just a spectator. Check this out. He wasn't just, he got up to read and it says here, he read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. It was handed to him. And that's the, that's the famous passage where it talks about, you know, this is the year that the Lord has, the year of Jubilee, and he's going to release, the, it's, it's the good one, right? So check that out. So Jesus would have gotten to know the written word by going to church. I just think that's phenomenal. Like, he didn't have this luxury, and yet how many of us, this thing sits on our bookshelves, goes untouched, unscathed, unread for years, and it's just collecting dust, and it's just, it's just sitting there, and none of us, we don't get into it. And in the ancient world, they had to go to church to read it. I think, what a luxury, right? What a, what a convenience. And we don't even touch it. It just blows my mind. 
Spiritual discipline, read the scriptures. You want to have power in your walk with the Lord? Know the word, right? With the living word, know the written word. And then this, I love this, Hebrews chapter, chapter 10, verses 25. It says, let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I thought about it in COVID, right? Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Why are we meeting together? To encourage one another. To, to stir something up, to stir, to edify, to encourage, to, 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 to love on one another. We, we, we're meeting to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So meeting together as a, as a church, as a family, as a family of God, as, the, as a commun- covenant community of faith, meeting together regularly is actually a spiritual discipline. It's actually a discipline, and it was Jesus' custom. It was his habit. It was his routine. It was the way, his rhythm of his life that he got in the habit of meeting with the people of God and to minister to them too. He ministered to them. I think that's, that's phenomenal. And then the last one, spiritual discipline as fasting. Come on, how many of you, how many of you, it's hard to fast. Oh, man. Look at this. I, I don't know about you, but I just started counting my calories the other week, and I started preparing my meals ahead of time, and I started meal prepping. Can I get an amen? Somebody, no amen. They just, it's hard. It is so hard. But look at this. Look at this. I, I realize this, and I think I see this in the scripture. If you can govern your appetite, I would argue that there's very little that you, can go, you can't govern in your life. No, for real. If you can govern your food, your, your intake, your, your diet, if you can control that, it takes such discipline. It takes such strength. And what I noticed about fasting was this. When Jesus talks about fasting, what is the purpose of fasting from food? What is, what is the purpose? The, the purpose of fasting is to, to subjugate the physical, the material self, right? The, the flesh and put spirit over flesh every time. So when I'm, when I'm fasting, when, I, when I'm subjugating this body, subjecting it and making it subject to Christ, I'm saying, this is not my food, my, my bread. Man shall not live on bread, on bread alone, bread and water alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's not food that sustains you. It's the living word of God that sustains you, right? So if I can just subjugate my body and make it, make it subject to the Spirit. Everything that I do, every moment, every waking moment, I want to learn how. And this is what fasting does. Fasting gives us this amazing, unique opportunity to connect with God as sustenance. To connect with God as provider, as provision. To connect our spirits, right, our soul, with the heart of the Father. And, and look at this. He says, he says this. When you fast, this is in Matthew 6, when you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces and show others that they are fasting. He says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, see, he says, you are different, Andrew. He says, you are different, Jordan. He says, you are, when you fast, he says, they've received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head. He said, hide, your, hide it a little bit. Wash your face so that it will not be obvious that others would see that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret 
will reward you. See, isn't it interesting that an unseen God can see the things which are seen? But people think that what is truly seen are only the things or only the people who can see in front of you. God rewards so much more for the things that are done in the unseen than in the seen. The things that are done in the secret place. It's amazing the Bible calls the prayer closet the secret place. It's the hidden room. It's the place of power. It's the place where provision is poured out. It's the secret place. It ain't the public square. It ain't downtown. It ain't, hey, look at me, everybody. It's not about you. The spiritual disciplines are about intimacy with God. Do you remember that? Jesus revealed something very important about spiritual disciplines. It's not about your praise. It's about your intimacy with your Father in heaven. That's why we fast. That's why we pray in secret. That's why we Sabbath. That's why we rest. That's why we encourage one another. That's why we go to church. That's why we do these things. It's to foster. It's to create a sense. It's to create this intimacy, this connection with God. It has nothing to do with what everybody else thinks. Whatever, even when we're worshiping, right now, some of us, when we're worshiping, right, it's so easy to get caught up into, oh, well, what do they think? I can't, be, I can't be free. I can't be myself. I can't be. When you're worshiping God, it's just you and him. It's just you and the Father. It's just you connecting your heart with his. Who cares, what they, who cares how you look? Who cares what you're doing? It's just connection between you and God. Everything, every spiritual discipline is to connect us with the heart of the Father. Not our praise, but his. And it's not about doing more. Did you hear me? It's not about doing more things to look more spiritual so that you can get a pat on the back and post your little Instagram picky on Facey Pick and then look, everybody look at me. I'm reading my Bible today. I did it. Do I get a like, a comment, amen, somebody. No, it ain't about that. It ain't about doing more things. It's about this. The purpose of all disciplines is not to show religious zeal. The purpose of all spiritual disciplines is to create intimacy with your Father who is in heaven. And Jesus' lifestyle and teachings show us that spiritual habits should help us develop intimacy with the Father, not praise for ourselves. So if you want to be like Jesus, all right, here we go. If you want to be like Jesus, then the thing to do to follow him is into a relentless obedience to God's will and stop drawing attention to yourself. It's not about you. It's not about your own spirituality. Look at me. Look how holy I am. I'm fasting. Woohoo! It's not about that. It's about connecting your heart with your fathers. That's what it is. That's what it's all about. Don't try to prove your devotion to God. Just show God you are devoted to him. Right? How often do we do things for God, right? We, 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 we do things for the kingdom. We, we do things repeatedly in order to show that we're committed to God, that we're devoted to him, instead of just being with dad. It's Father's Day. Spend time with dad. Go home after and spend time. Get, get in your prayer closet. Just spend time with your father who's in heaven. Let me get the band. We can get the band up here. I'm wrapping up here. Just spend time with your father who is in heaven. In closing here, I thought this was really interesting. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he sa it says this. Paul writes, Paul is writing on discipline, and he says this, and I quoted it before. He says, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. That Greek word train, it comes from the Greek root word gumnos, which means naked. What in the world? 
What's going on? During Paul's day, Greek athletes would get in the gym and they would train, you guessed it, booty naked. They'd take it all off to show what they had. No, this is really interesting. This is really weird, right? They would actually, they would actually, they would get in the gym and athletes, they'd be in the gym, they would run races, the Olymp- they would do all this stuff, they would do it naked. Not a thing, not an article, nothing on them in order casting off every encumbrance, everything that hinders so that we can run the race more fully. Have you heard that passage before? Oh, whoa, now it makes sense. Casting off everything so I can run faster, so I can go harder, so I can train better. Sin? About, about the, 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 the worst question, the lowest question you can ask yourself is, is it a sin? How about this? Does it help me run? Does it help me run this race of faith? The lowest question you can ask is, is it a sin? Do I need to throw it off? It's not do you need to, should you throw it off? Will it help you run? Paul says throwing everything, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Let us run with discipline. Let us run with endurance. Let us run and throw it all off to run this race more fully for the name and sake of Jesus. Does it help me run? Does it help me become a better Christian, a better follower, more loving, more kind, more caring, more compassionate? Does it help me run? If not, throw it off. The call for spiritual discipline demands that you throw it off to run this race more fully. Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, God, we're asking you, Father, that everything that hinders us, the sin that so easily entangles us, every obstacle, everything that wages war against our souls, against our hearts, and against our minds, God, that you would just begin to cast it off in the name of Jesus, that there would be no thing, no person, no relationship, no toxicity, no, no, no habit, no, no, no element in our lives that would begin to hinder our walk with you, Jesus. We want to walk more faithfully with you. We want to pursue you passionately. We want to create greater intimacy when we practice the spiritual disciplines. And God, I'm praying right now that if somebody's here today and they just say, I'm struggling with this sin, I'm struggling with this encumbrance, I need to get it off. God, I pray in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, you would just cast it off. That there would be freedom. That there would be renewal. That there would be grace. That there would be power through the Holy Spirit in their lives to help them run more faithfully and more fully devoted to you. And we pray it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.